Christmas. Well, Christmas uh, always poses a yearly challenge to those of us who've um, heard the story uh, many times, or you've been to 20, 30, 40 Christmas plays, heard maybe that many sermons, I don't know, sung every Christmas carol there is a hundred times over, and um, I suppose what's more to be said that hasn't already been said over the many, many years. And if you know about Christmas at all, you'll know about Mary, and you'll know about the angel Gabriel, as we just heard this morning's reading. You'll have known about their dangerous journey to Bethlehem and Caesar's decree of a census and Herod's jealousy over this new king that was born. You'll also know the story about the the no vacancy sign above the inn. There's no room for them. You also know about um, these shepherds who came to worship this baby Jesus and these mysterious wise men from the east who came. And then the last second flight to Egypt uh, that Joseph made his family take. But I don't want this Christmas time to go past without it being significant for us. I, I don't want us to be like the innkeeper who missed baby Jesus, the Messiah, right in his backyard, basically. I don't want us to be like the Bethlehem's townsfolk who just went about their daily business with the Messiah right around the corner. And as we come to the close of 2018, I suppose the question for you is, was there anything really significant that happened in your life in 2018? Uh, Maybe there were a few things that happened in your life in 2018 that were significant. Maybe for some of you it was just same old, same old 2018. I don't want 2018 to pass us by without us seeing the significance of Jesus Christ and Christmas. I mean, that very word I've used a couple times this morning Significant comes from a root word, sign. And in humanity, signs are very, very important to us. You think about, imagine driving in Rochester without any signs. It would be chaos. It would be more chaos, put it that way. (laughs) All right? Signs are very, very important. I mean, people always want to know or see a sign, you know. Could this be a sign? Even from old times, the soothsayers would come. For some people in some cultures, it's the fortune cookies. You open it up and it tells you a fortune and you think something. Even uh, many of us online type of generations, it's the online mediums or spiritists and various palm readers and so on. I grew up in a, a little town called Peter Maritzburg. It's not too far from where my friend Craig uh, grew up. And... Uh, it's about 45 minutes drive or so from the beach. And as a kid, we would climb in the car and we'd be heading off to the beach and we'd leave our little town of Peter Maritzburg and we'd begin driving. And down the highway, we would see these signs, 70 kilometers <laughs> to the beach, which was Durban is the city at the beach. And then it would be 50 kilometers to the beach. And then we would get over the, that final hill, Craig will know where it is, in Pine Town, where you get, it's just a little town before the main city of Durban. And the game was on. Who could see the sea first? That was the game. And you come over that hill and you, I see it, no I did, you did, me too, man, and all of that in the back of the car. And we would see the beach. But even in seeing the beach and seeing those signs, we weren't at the beach yet. We were just seeing the beach. And then we look at it 
And we only really arrive at the beach when we stand on the sand. There we are at the beach and we put our toes in the lovely, warm Indian Ocean. Okay, we have the Atlantic Ocean on the other coast, which is freezing. I remember that as a kid when we went to Cape Town, which is the other side. And I saw the beach and I thought, yay! And I ran in and I dived and I came out and I said, what happened? <laughs> Who threw the ice blocks in the sea? In the sea? But we grow, I grew up with that. And the signs pointed to what was to come and an awaiting. Now that I've painted that wonderful picture of us all living <laughs> far from the sea and wondering why we didn't go to Florida for Christmas and stuff like that, it's just to say that for mankind, signs are important. We have them. But for God... Signs are even more important. In fact, he's been placing signs along his sovereign road for years. He's been placing signs on his story. And we're going to look at one of those today. Let me just give you a picture of some of the signs that he has placed in history. Then God said in Genesis 1, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, and for days, and for years. And people for many years used the stars to navigate, and geographical navigation, and astronomy. Noah, I will set my rainbow, my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth, that he would not destroy the earth by a flood again. Moses had a burning bush, and he, God said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. We know about Gideon, and he wrongly asked for two signs, and God was gracious and gave him the answer. So Gideon said to him, to this angel, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who are speaking to me. And so one of the best ways that I've found in my life um, to fight against the possible tendency to hear a Christmas sermon or something that we know very, very well is to look at the details. If you've known me for a while, you know I like to do that as we look at Bible verses. And so we're going to take out the microscope this morning and we're going to look at just two verses. And those verses are found in Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 to 12 if you'd like to turn there in the Pew Bibles or you can follow on the screen. This is the first Christmas sermon that was preached by the angels to some very, very frightened shepherds. And this is what the angels said. I'll be using the New American Standard this morning, so if it's a little different than what you have there. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Well, let's pray and let's ask God's help as we look in this, to this passage together. Father, as we, as we look again at probably the most well-known of Bible stories this morning, the Nativity, I ask that you would please grant us fresh eyes um, to see anew the wonders of what you did in that little town of Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago and what Jesus came to do for mankind, for us here today. And it is in his name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. So it starts off there and it says, for today. That's the angel's words, for today. And we today, 
forget how utterly unprepared those Jewish shepherds were to hear those words. And, and actually how awesome it must have been for them when they heard the sound of those words. For today. See, an angel had just told them probably what these Jewish shepherds had heard their whole lives growing up. Even as uneducated as they were, they had heard the story about the coming Messiah. In our culture today, we can barely wait sometimes for next week's episode. Or maybe if you watch the first part of a movie, you're like, wait one year for part two to come out. Well, you forget that these guys had been waiting, especially their whole lives as shepherds for this Messiah. They had heard about it. Add to that the fact that God had been silent for 400 years. The end of Malachi, the Old Testament, that was the last prophet that we had. God was quiet. For four centuries. Most countries in the world are not four centuries old. America isn't. South Africa isn't. Four centuries. God had said nothing until he had spoken to Zechariah about the birth of John the Baptist. But that was only a few months before this incident. So there was nothing. No prophet from God for four centuries. And so they were waiting for this Messiah. God had not spoken in their lifetime or any of their grandparents or anybody's lifetime for ages. And so they're waiting for this Messiah. And the Messiah, the word means anointed. The verb form of the word can be used to apply to the various items that were in the temple or the tabernacle. Those things were anointed, set apart for God's use. Whenever it was used as a noun, it was always used in a human or animated form, like the priests were anointed. They, the prophets were anointed. Kings were anointed. And this word Messiah became known as we're waiting for the Messiah. You see, those are God's signs. The prophets of old. The priests of old. The kings of old. They were signposts of the ultimate prophet and priest and king who was to come, the Messiah. In those days, you had guys like Moses. He was a prophet. And a priest. He was both a prophet speaking to the people from God and a priest making intercession to God for the people. We had guys like David who were a king and a prophet. And there was one guy who's not mentioned much, Melchizedek. He was the only one who was a king and a priest. But no human being was ever all three except Jesus Christ, who was our prophet, God's word to mankind, He was the priest, the intercessor, and actually the sacrificial lamb. And he is the king who rules for all time. There are 574 verses specifically referring to the coming of the Messiah. We won't look at them all today. But you must understand that these promises of the coming Messiah, they weren't like, oh, let's take a random promise here and a random promise there and kind of put them all together. And there's the promises of the Messiah. No, God had specifically formed these promises, these signposts, continuous a pattern, a purpose on his road and his sovereign plan leading to a destination, the fulfillment of these promises. He had placed these on his road when Christ the Messiah would come. And these shepherds had been waiting their whole lives But not only them waiting their whole lives, the nation of Israel had been waiting. But not only the nation of Israel, in fact, all humanity right from the beginning had been waiting, whether they knew it or not, for this Messiah who would come. Maybe some of you are thinking of this verse in Genesis, right after the fall. 
He put the first sign marker in the road. And I will put enmity between you, the serpent, Satan, and the woman, between your seed and her seed, the Messiah to come. He, the Messiah, shall crush your head. That was on the cross. And he dealt with sin. And you will bruise his heel. And this verse has been referred to as the proto-evangelion. Proto meaning first, initial, like a prototype. Proto-evangelion, gospel, the first gospel, way back in the Garden of Eden, referring to the coming of the Messiah. Back to Luke. Oh, sorry. I'm actually in Genesis 12. We'll go to Genesis 12. Genesis 12 talks about not only for the Jewish people, but hear it. This is to Abraham. It says, I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you, I will curse. Now, speaking to Abraham, and in you, your offspring, the Messiah that will come, you, well, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is a reference to how God would come and save Gentiles, not just the nation of Israel. The promise of this Messiah was to all peoples everywhere. Back to Luke now. Okay, so it says there, for today, I mean, that's a massive day, not only for the shepherds or the nation of Israel, but that's a massive day for mankind, God's fulfillment of His promises. It says, in the city of David. The city of David, Bethlehem, I suppose if you found a bright center of the universe, it's the town that's furthest there from. It's a real back-end town. Maybe some of you grew up in a town like that, where there's just nothing happening. You, so, so today, the Messiah is being born in, in, in our town? Like, like, like Bethlehem? That one over there? With one streetlight type of thing? They didn't have streetlights then. But you got the picture. They were probably thinking to themselves, why off the beaten track in our little town of Bethlehem? But again, it's very specific in God's signpost that he put 700 years before, speaking through the prophet Micah. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrata, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His going forths, goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. And the shepherds must be thinking to themselves, wow, the Messiah. What does he say? The, the eternal one, the ruler of Israel. We, just, we sang it just a few minutes ago. Endless ages. This is God of eternity. He has been born in Bethlehem down the road. And God pegged that sign in there. We carry on reading in Luke. So there has been born today in Bethlehem has been born for you a Savior. It says there has been. It's, 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 as I'm speaking to you, it has happened. I'm talking to you these things and it has happened. Do you know that there's only two places in the Gospels where Christ, and I mean the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Christ is specifically linked to being Savior. Christ and Savior are written together. One is found here, and the other one is found in John chapter 4. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and then she says, come and come, goes to the village and tells him to come and hear the man who told me everything. And this is what happens in verse 41. Many more believed because of Jesus' word. And they were saying to the woman, It's no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and know that this one, Jesus Christ, this one is the Savior of the world. We know that He is the Savior. 
Come thou long expected Redeemer, Savior, Messiah, Anointed One. And we have to realize the enormity of these next words there. So for today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who would come and rescue. Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua means the Lord is salvation. His name and his title is very important here. It says, who is Christ the Lord? Christ wasn't his last name. It wasn't like Jesus Christ, Dan Keenan. No. Christ, Christos, means Messiah, anointed one. The Hebrew Messiah, Christos, is the same thing, anointed. So Jesus Christ is anointed. And then what does it say there? The Lord. That's just for God. Deity. Yahweh. And so in that title, that proclamation, He is a Savior. Jesus, Lord of is salvation. Who is Christ? The anointed one. The Messiah. The Lord. God Himself intervening in humanity. Verse 12 says here, And this will be a sign for you. Here we have as clear as ever, a signpost that God has put in His path and in His road and His story. But we'll see in a moment that this sign is slightly different. Listen to some of the Messianic prophecies in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call His name Emmanuel. Dave. Did a great job with the, in the beginning of December. Emmanuel, God with us. So this will be a sign. Isaiah says, this will be a sign. I will give you, God will give you a sign. The original sentence in the Greek is, it's a definite article before it. It means the sign. The sign of all signs. This will be the sign for you. And the word sign is used when God intervenes. It's a sign of supernatural act of God. It would be a word that you would use for somebody rising from the dead. That's a sign. (laughs) uh, The Dead Sea parting, that would be a sign. This is when God intervenes in human history. The sign, what all the other pre-signs pointed to. It's like... We've arrived at the beach, so to say. This is the sign that you have been waiting for. Now, after these powerful words, Christ the Lord, and all the terminology, the sign, you would expect to hear, this will be the sign for you. The moon will turn to blood, and the stars will spell out His name, and thunder will roar across the plain, and lightning will light up the sky from end to end. You would expect to hear that, but you don't. What do, you, what do, we, what do we hear? We don't hear that. I mean, after all, this is the Messiah. This is what all those other covenants have pointed to in the Garden of Eden with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with Noah. It's all been pointing to the Messianic covenant. This is the biggie. This is the big one. This will be a the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You can almost hear the crickets, you know, but ready? Sorry, come, come again. We're going to find a baby wrapped in a bunch of rags and in a cattle's feeding trough, ultimately. But the angel's instructions here were very specific. They were very, very significant. 
No doubt there were other babies who were born in Bethlehem around that time. We know that because later on Herod wanted to um, kill a bunch of the the two-year-olds and and down. There were probably other infants and toddlers there. But the particular circumstances of Jesus' birth are very, very important. In fact, they are actually part of the sign that the Messiah has come. And perhaps an illustration will help. Let's suppose that you, you go to England and you know that the ruler, the sovereign ruler of England is the queen, okay? But you don't know, maybe you don't know who she is or where she, she lives. And, and if you meet somebody there in England, you, you ask for help. I, I'd like to go and meet the queen. And when you ask for help, they might say something like this. Well, okay, you need, well, well, okay, you need to go to London. I'll say something like that. Go to London. And then you look for a large building called Buckingham Palace. Look for some gentlemen wearing big fuzzy black hats. Okay? And when you see a short little old lady, I must be careful, that is the queen. Okay? So when you see this lady um, coming out of the, the palace, uh, surrounded maybe by police officers, uh, plainclothes detectives or something, that is the sign that you have found the queen. And then add to that the cameramen and paparazzi and all of the other things around it. And you'll know for sure when this lady climbs into a black Rolls Royce limousine that you have found the queen. You see, the sign of the queen was also all of the surroundings around her, where she lived, who were around her at the time. That became the sign of you had found the queen. And the sign of the Messiah is also the particular circumstances around his birth. And what sign did God choose then to signify that he has come to earth? He chose a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You see, many Jews at that time missed the Messiah. They were looking for him in the wrong place. Remember in Luke chapter 11, they said to Jesus, Give us a sign from heaven! Jesus is like, yeah, it's me, born in a stable. The, down, the townsfolk, they didn't see the plain sign right in front of their faces. But isn't that how God works? The first will be last. The weak will outdo the strong. The foolish will shame the wise. He sends his son. God Almighty, to be born in a stable as a baby. Most of the world missed it. There was one man, however, who didn't. If you're in your Bibles, you can turn to Luke, the same chapter, just whip down to verse 25. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Remember? Christos. God's Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents, Jesus, Joseph, and Mary, uh, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and he blessed God and he said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen, what? Your salvation, 
Jesus Christ, Lord, is salvation. Amazing words that he chooses there. Which you have prepared, who? In the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. Remember Genesis chapter 3. All, we need a Savior. And then Genesis chapter 12 will be blessing to all mankind. And the glory of your people Israel. Verse 33. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And here, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, referring to his death on the cross. Mary would grieve that. To the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. God is so precise. He's given us that man, Simeon, lived his life, knew he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah come. The oldest man in the Bible, Methuselah, we know him because he lived to be 969 years old. Before that, 969 years, his dad named him Methuselah. His dad was Enoch. Enoch, remember, he died, he didn't die, he just ceased to be. 365 years. One guy has put it this way. I mean, he was walking, because it said Enoch walked with God. Somebody has said it this way. They were walking and God said, Enoch, you're closer to my home than yours. Let's just keep going. <laughs> okay? But Enoch named his son Methuselah. Do you know what Methuselah means? Methuselah means his death shall bring. 969 years later, Methuselah died. And in that same years, year, God flooded the world. His death shall be. God is particular, even in the naming of someone. Simeon, you know, a derivative of the name Simeon means sign. God's particular in these things. He's putting these signposts all over for humanity to see. So let's look closely at this sign. Who is this, this baby? So we see his humanity here. You will find a baby. This morning we've done a lot of, well, this term and the Hebrew and the Greek and different things like that. But do you know what baby means? It means baby. <laughs> so, you know, it does. It's, it's, it's the same word for every child. Every kid that was born would have been called this same word. There's nothing extraordinary about the birth of Jesus. We refer to it as a miracle, but that's nine months earlier. The miraculous conception but Jesus' birth just happened like pretty well everybody, you know, just was born. He was this, the same little baby. And see, that's part of the sign, his humanity. In Philippians chapter 2, it talks about this. Baby Jesus didn't cease to be God when he came to earth. It wasn't like, okay, I'm done with the God thing, let me, let me be man. No, Philippians chapter 2 says he added, he, he put on humanity. He's 100% God and 100% man. He added humanity to that. And he got thirsty. He got tired. He slept. He ate. He bled. He even sweated drops of blood. He was fully human. If he wasn't born a human to come and do for us, mankind, what we could not do for ourselves, to rescue us as being God and man. If he wasn't, didn't come to be born, he wouldn't have been able to die for the sins of those who would believe. He wouldn't be able to be raised from the dead. 
and rule at the right hand of God the Father. And he wouldn't return again. He had to be born a man, a baby. See, over the centuries, many battles have been fought over this basic truth. In the first century, the the battle was raged over his genuine humanity. Did God really become a man? See, that was that. They were fine with God coming to it, but did he re- was Jesus fully human? And John wrote later on in his life in 1 John chapter 4, and he addresses this very thing. And he says this in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. He fought against that heresy. Today our debate is the other way around. Was Jesus really God. That's what the debates around lots of world religions are. You see, they can even say he was a good man, good teacher, but he wasn't really God. In fact, some Jehovah's Witnesses, if they, they don't believe that Jesus is God, that he was the Son of God, that he was born, created, okay, but he wasn't eternal. If a Jehovah's Witness knocks at your door sometime, they don't come to my door, funnily enough. But if they come to your door sometime, just ask them to open their Bible, their book, New World Translation. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In their New World Translation, it says this, In Him, talking about Christ, in Him, the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. That's God, Lord, coming into mankind and being born a baby. As I said, other religions, good teacher, good leader, But only Christians believe that he is. Like the old creed says, very God of very God. He is God. The Jews do not believe this. They hold him in high esteem. The Muslims do not believe this. They believe he's a prophet sent from Allah. But he is not God or the son of God. Hindus may believe that he is a God, but one of many, three million, however many they have, but not the true God, the Trinity But Christians, we believe this. We believe that the Bible teaches us that God Almighty came and was born a baby so that he would give his life for us. Another way we see his humanity is in the next passage there. So you will find a baby wrapped in cloths. In that climate, in those times, babies would be wrapped up, I don't know, like a mummy because of the severe weather conditions that they faced. In our modern times, we don't have that much. We've got climate-controlled gymnasiums, and we've got cars and things like that that are climate-controlled. But babies were very prone to die in their first year. Jesus was a baby. He was wrapped up in cloths. See, Jesus was fully human. He was even human to the point where he was tempted, but yet he was without sin, and he could save mankind. The details around his birth complete. Uh, complete the picture for us of the sign of the Messiah coming. Next we see not only his humanity, a baby being born, wrapped in cloths, but we also see his humility, lying in a manger. The mangers we have today in the plays we see at school or wherever, they're far too pretty. (laughs) They lay almost like a cot or a crib that we have there. Hay and all nice and fluffy some of them have lights. This manger wasn't like that. The manger that, we, that was probably used in those days was a, a chiseled out, hewn out piece of rock. That's what they would use for a manger. And we have this stable, you know, the view of a stable, lovely 
wooden structure, the back of a house, you know, you have those nice little wooden, we think, oh, look at that, it's a beautiful little stable. No, probably not. It was probably an outcrop of rock, like a cave with some wood in front of it to stop the cattle from leaving. Think about it. There was a census on. Thousands of people flocking to Bethlehem. Nobody else was using that. You can probably think that maybe somebody came to the innkeeper, like Mary and Joseph, hey, you got any room in the inn? Oh, no, sorry, we're full. You've got no space. Anything. Oh, no, there's people on the couches and whatever. Oh, well, I've got that stable at the back. Should we try somewhere else? Because they did, because nobody else was using it. And Mary and Joseph went in there. Jesus' first nursery was a cave, outcrop. His first crib was a cattle's feeding trough. He was lying in a manger. Again, Philippians 2 helps us. And when he took on humanity, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a slave. Slaves wouldn't have even been found in a cave like that. If you were walking past there that night and you knew nothing else about the story, unfortunately the pictures we have today are you know, Mary and Joseph, halos, Jesus, nice thing, halo, everything, choirs of angels singing. Oh, wasn't like that. We were no visible angels, at least, that we could see at the stable. If you had walked past there, you would have seen this young couple, a baby born. You would have thought maybe, oh, they've fallen on hard times. You're tough for them. You know, carry on walking by. But as I said, isn't that the way with God? Hmm? He brings us his salvation, the importance of the Messiah. There was nothing supernatural about that event, but that's how God works. God's significant sign is seemingly insignificant. A little baby wrapped in strips of cloth, resting in a feeding trough in a cave at the back of an inn. To borrow a phrase from Martin Luther, he says this, he says, He whom the worlds cannot enwrap, talking about Christ, he's God. Worlds cannot enwrap him, envelop him. He whom the worlds cannot enwrap, yonder lies on Mary's lap, the Savior of the world. And surely that's a strange way for the Savior to enter into the world. The poorest child, not even would be found in a manger, but Jesus came to be God's appointed sign. And that's probably the title for the message today. Significant insignificance. I'm going to close with excerpts of Charles Spurgeon. He also preached on this sermon. Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers in London, 150, 200 years ago. Maybe close your eyes and get the form of the picture in your mind as I read what he concludes with. The scene at Bethlehem is one of utter simplicity. A mother, a father, a baby. Thus the word made flesh to dwell among us. What God does is both simple and clear. And the message to us is also simple and clear. Those who come in simple faith to the Lord Jesus Christ find great peace. We need once again to preach the plain man's gospel, free of speculation and centered on the Christ child. I then urge you hearers, come in faith to the babe of Bethlehem who would one day die for the sins of the world. 
Little children should come, for he was once a little child himself. Young women should come, for Mary was a young woman who was God's instrument for bringing Christ into the world. Young men should come, for Joseph was once a young man and had great faith in God. Old women should come, for Anna was an old woman looking for the coming of the Lord. Old men should come, for aged Simeon waited for the consolation of Israel. The working men and women should come to Christ because the shepherds represent all who work with their hands for a living. And they too came to Bethlehem. Finally, the high educated of the world should come for the wise men came bearing gifts. And they too bowed and worshipped the king. Father God, I ask this morning that you would allow us to see the sign anew this Christmas season. To see Christ. Help us to see the gospel, the simple gospel of the Son of God coming down to earth to save mankind. May all in this place be led to see the humble Savior. I pray that all these people sitting here, young, old, may all be yours in the day of your son's second appearing. This time he won't come as a baby, but he will come as a conquering king. We look forward to that day, but I know, Lord, I know in a room this size that maybe Not everyone is ready for Christ's return. I pray for those here and now that today they would bow their hearts and they would surrender their lives and trust Christ as their Savior. Lord, for those of us here who are your children, may we live this very day in light of that day to come when we will be with you forever. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.